0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in Music, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Alex Kuchma, the host of the channel, and today we'll be talking to Roy Christopher about his new book, Boogie Down Predictions, Hip Hop, Time, and Afrofuturism. Roy Christopher, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Man, it's a pleasure. I've had a blast being able to go through what I have been able to go through of the text. And uh, and yeah, man, I'm excited to be able to go through this here. It should be a good one. So, I was I was wondering if we could begin the the interview just by you getting uh, you telling us a little bit about your yourself, how you ended up getting acquainted with um, kind of hip hop in in general, and uh, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit about yourself.
0: I guess all of this goes back to making zines in my teens, which came out of skateboarding and BMX culture. Um, I'm I've moved around growing up, moved around every two years, but for the most part I've been based, my parents are still here and I was in high school in Southeast Alabama. And there's, there, it's, the skateboarders and the BMXers were all kind of outcasts because it's all like SEC football and big trucks and everything in Alabama. Um, so we would, you know, organize our own little things. We were all, it was all DIY. We all, if we had anything, we had to do it ourselves. And so I first started making zines because I saw them in one of the BMX magazines. And there were people who had skateboard. People would get skateboard zines in the mail, and I th- originally thought I have an artist mother, so I originally thought that I was going to be an artist. And the first thing that drew me to zine making was just the graphic design of like balancing tonered, uh, tonered like black and white photos on the page and like doing the layouts. But quickly realized that I was going to have to do the writing as well cause, because no one else is going to write about the, you know, the horror team coming to town or the. Goofy skateboard contest we had on an abandoned building slab or review the new one go boingo record or whatever so um, it fell to me to do to do the writing as well, And so that's that is the part that actually took off. Um, I was an art major for the first three years of undergrad realized I wanted to do more than that or something else other than that Not, nothing no diss to art majors. Um, and I was writing for zines and whatever I moved to Seattle after graduation and started writing for magazines. I spent the first part of the 90s working at record stores and the last part of the 90s working at um, music magazines and skateboard magazines. And so it all kind of comes out of that because right at the end of the 90s, I went back to grad school because I, again, I wanted to do something more than what I was doing at the time. And so my dissertation, this is many years later, I'm skipping because I had three different attempts at grad school and had years in between the two and lots of time passing. But, um, sure, sure. Uh, my, my dissertation for my PhD was on rap lyrics. So the music stuff never really went away. And so when I started putting together these book ideas, it kind of combines the, you know, stuff I learned in grad school about methodology and, you know, developing theories and all those different kinds of angles, but also just the love of the music was in there as well and there's not so much skateboarding and bmx in my books except for the one we'll talk about later the one that i just finished up um but the music is definitely in there and i do still skateboard and ride bikes so it's all still the same kind of thing that i was doing as a zine maker um as a teenager
1: how did you come to this project like what made you interested in the idea of like hip-hop and afrofuturism and time and that kind of idea
0: Well, the previous, one of the previous books I wrote, um, Dead Precedents, How Hip Hop Defines the Future, the core argument of that book is that um, hip hop culture is the blueprint for the 21st century culture. So I was trying to look at the way that all of these different cultural practices within hip hop culture have kind of defined and helped inform the cultural practices of the 21st century. And so in order to make that argument, I ended up going back into these kind of parallels between cyberpunk literature and the development of hip hop culture. And so those two kind of, um, happened and evolved and came into the mass mind around the same time. And so I was looking at all these correspondences between the two. And if you do that, you will eventually run into Afrofuturism. And so there's a whole section toward the end after I go through all of like the kind of the different elements of hip hop and, and show how they're, how they relate to cyberpunk, um, I tie it into it to Afrofuturism, and Boogie Down Predictions kinds of kind of came out of that book because I was I saw well I mean I've seen other people do this but I remember looking at Jeff Chang who's obviously a mentor of mine um, and he's a buddy he um, he had he had done Can't Stop Won't Stop the Great History of Hip Hop Culture but he also shortly thereafter released an edited collection about graffiti called Total Chaos and I was like that's so cool because. He invited all of his friends and, you know, a bunch of his colleagues to write about um, one aspect of this thing. So I was like, what would you know, what would I know a bunch of people, too? Let me <laughs> let me ask around. And so I started asking around. This is why I was still writing Dead Precedents. I asked around if, any you know, any of my scholarly and writerly friends had pieces about hip hop that they hadn't that they hadn't placed anywhere or that they thought, you know, deserved um, a wider re- readership. Um, and by the end of the first afternoon of just kind of like emailing different, you know, contacts, I had three really solid ex- essays and so I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, this thing, this might ha- have some traction. And, uh, actually only one of those essays ended up in the final book, but I knew that the idea was strong then. And as far as the, the themes, like the sections in the book are, um, you know, time technology and the future. And then the whole, that whole angle of time was just kind of emerged out of the the essays that came in because there wasn't like a call for papers or anything super academic like that. Again, it was just me talking to friends and them talking to friends and it kind of came together just through, through my own network of contacts. Um, and the it's, it's also really cool because the aspect of time and how that connects to hip hop because hip hop does a lot of like time shifting with samples and, um, just rejuvenating these old memories Uh, that wasn't something that I talked about a lot. I mean, I talked about nostalgia and I talked about like the idea of implanted memories um, using like Blade Runner as an example and samples in Dead Precedents, but just as a overall theme, it wasn't something that I explored that heavily the time travel aspect, the science fictional kind of idea. And so to have that kind of emerge out of these essays was really interesting because it it helps, it makes the material cover a lot more ground than i would expected.
1: Yeah. In, in terms of the structure you write in the preface and, and I quote here, you say, I attempted to assemble a variety of voices from poets to scholars, MCs to journalists. I tried bringing together a looser view than what you're used to. I tried to put together what Brian Cross will call a literary mixtape. Can you expand on, on, I guess, that choice instead of making like a call to papers and do the edit collection in a more traditional sense?
0: Yeah, this, um, I like to think of this as a, as a strength, but in academia, it turned out to be not strength, but I don't, like I don't, I'm not interested in writing for, you know, journals and doing journal articles and like peer reviewed scholarly work. And like that stuff has its place and, um, much respect to people who do that, but that's not what I want to do. Um, I, I want people to read, you know, I'm writing for people to read, not writing to check a box on my CV or whatever. And so. I knew when I was putting this together that it wasn't going to be a a scholarly pursuit. It's a scholarly pursuit, but it wasn't going to be an academic pursuit. So I'm not going to get tenure because of this book or anything like that. And I didn't, that's not why I wanted to do it. I wanted it to be something that would be useful for scholars, but also interesting to just people who are interested in hip hop and Afrofuturism. So the, you know, the choice to reach out to um, MCs and poets and, journalists rather than and there are several very academic pieces in here and there are lots of academics involved um but that choice is just a matter of like what i like personally (laughs) and you know just kind of where my work is like it's not it's i like to say i'm a good scholar and a bad academic um because i yeah again i write to be read and not to um fulfill some I don't know a career goal of getting tenure or whatever. Again, I'm not trying to sound down on that. That's great if people do that. I'm just not one of them. Fair enough. Fair
1: enough. You you talk about the the categories that the book is kind of split up into uh, being time, technology, and the future. Are you able to break down a little bit more about what you mean by these and why they were important distinctions when putting together the book?
0: Um, at first, the the subtitle, which is "Hip Hop Time and Afrofuturism," the the original title of the book was "Hip Hop Theory," and then it was the subtitle was "Time Technology in the Future." And so I kind of just stole the old subtitle as the sections, but also those were kind of the themes that were, you know, again that emerged after reading all this material, and um, there were some that were more heavily, you know, about the future or Afrofuturism itself, or time specific and then there were a few that were just about like samples and just like technological practices within hip-hop and so they they kind of pretty easily fell into these categories i mean they're they're kind of loose because there's some that could probably fit into more than one but those again those are just kind of the 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 buckets if you will that these pieces just kind of um, fell into as they came in and there were like i said before there were some that didn't make it um and some that I added in at the very last minute and, you know, this, I was talking earlier about the whole peer review process and how this book doesn't cut that. That was one of the things that happened during the publishing process was it, it went from one publisher to another because an editor left and at the second publisher, they sent it out for review and it got a bad, got a bad review because it's not a scholarly, It's not a, it's not an academic piece of work. And I, I wasn't surprised by that, but I also thought that that publisher realized that that was going to be the case. So shout out to strange attractor for supporting this kind of work. That's kind of in between um, because they were, when I, when I brought it to them and I actually, when I brought it to them, I said, I know you guys aren't interested in this, but do you know where I, you know, who would be? Cause I was kind of frustrated because it was, it had already gone through two publishers for, for different reasons and they were super excited about it And so um yeah they've, they've been really really great but the yeah the categories again just kind of emerged out of reading through the pieces I've done two um collections of interviews um in the past and those also have loose categories that I tried to put them in and again it was not arbitrary but it's like you just kind of from reading the material, you just kind of find those themes that run through. And then that's the that's the way I broke it down.
1: When I think about the subject, when I think about like hip hop and Afrofuturism, hip hop and sci-fi, hip-hop and its relationship with time, I guess I immediately go to like the usual suspects. Deltron thirty thirty, Doctor Octagon, Ocast, maybe on like an underground tip, artists like Masters of the Universe or like Last Emperor's comic book inspired Secret Wars. Um, but what I think makes this exercise so profound is that once you start going through this kind of philosophical rabbit hole, you start to see like way more connections. Like the DJ Screw piece, for example, and how he would like slow down a record to the point where it becomes almost indecipherable. But that's like a, a direct play on this idea of time. Um, Womack had an interesting statement in the introduction where she claimed that hip hop's foundations were Afrofuturism. And I think that becomes more evident the more you read. Was that something that you kind of understood upon taking on this project? Or rather, was it something that you kind of learned as the articles began flowing in?
0: I mean, I was, I it didn't come directly from this. Again, I was in the middle of writing Dead Precedents. And it, within that book is where i had made a lot of those connections already because there were so many things that I had not anticipated being connected. And so I was already kind of steeped in those connections when i started putting this together and uh yeah it was just it's um it's a fascinating when you see those things start like connecting all over the place because yeah the 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 usual suspects my my list of usual suspects is different from yours i mean uh, definitely deltron was one of the first things i thought of but like um ram lz who's in I've put him in three of my books now because I just think he's like the center of this kind of idea of the connection between hip hop and science fiction and Afrofuturism. He's like right in the middle of all that. Um, so him and like African Mabata and the Sosonic Force, I mean, those early on, there was a lot of really just spaced out, weird, you know, otherworldly kind of stuff going on in hip hop. And so um, Itasha Womack's statement about, you know, hip hop being based on that is interesting because the 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 term afrofuturism was you know has only been around since 19, 1993 but the ideas of afrofuturism have been out, around since since hip hop has started so she's correct in that kind of timeline that um you know with with sun ra and parliament funkadelic and all that stuff during the 70s um there was those you can trace all the afrofuturism in the music back to that and then you know in literature it goes back to Samuel Delaney and Octavia Butler and Um, so there's a, there's a rich, rich history that is not really collected in the same way that other histories are. Um, and that's, I mean, that's changing and has changed definitely in the scholarship over the last 20 years, but, um, it's still, you can still guilt when you go in there, you still are like, Oh wow, I didn't realize all this stuff was, you know, kind of combined together under this umbrella.
1: You've talked about dead presidents a couple times here. Do you see that book, the previous book that you ended up writing? Do you see that as a prerequisite for this in any sort of way? Like, do you feel like there's value in terms of reading that before you end up entering this edited collection?
0: Um, I mean, I would love to just go, oh yes, of course, you must read (laughs) first. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, no, I mean that book also requires a lot of. I mean, it's not like it's over people's head. I'm not trying to say it's like super smart, but like I know like my dad has tried to read it and my dad just doesn't know enough about any, he doesn't have the knowledge base for any of the any of this stuff to make, to see how those things connect. You know, he doesn't know who who Tricky is or who like, he doesn't know anything about Public Enemy other than I like them a lot. So he doesn't see how they connect to like, you know, Frankenstein and Mary Shelley and all this other <laughs> science fiction stuff. So, I mean, if you already know if, if, if any of this already sounds familiar to you, then you would—I wouldn't, wouldn't say—you'd have to read dead precedents first. But it's—it's um, it's definitely more of a straight exploration of these connections, whereas Booking down predictions is like—it's an edited collection, so it's not. You know, I had a—it's—I don't know—I had a friend who sat down to read it, you know, straight through, and it's edited collections are not really arranged that way. They're more like you kind of pick out what you want to, you know, read at any given time. Um, So if you wanted just more of a straight narrative that has an argument about what hip-hop and Afrofuturism and cyberpunk and science fiction and how this all goes together, Dead Precedence is more that. But if you're already, you know, familiar with all of this stuff, I would say that Boogie Down Predictions will give you like a broader view. One of the terms that's brought
1: up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, one of the the terms that's brought up here often in the the text is this idea of like a post-apocalypse. Um, when I think of that term, at least in association with like rap music and hip-hop, um, the the lyrics like mob deep come to mind, right? Like there's a war going on outside, no man is safe from, you can run, but you can't hide forever in the streets that we done took, right? It's, it's very visceral, vivid imagery, but it's painting that idea of a post-apocalypse and Prior, I certainly like if we talk about the usual suspects that I would have painted towards, like Deltron thirty thirty, Doctor Octagon, these are very, as you say, like spaced out, weird, kind of far-edge hip hop acts. Mod Deep is is not that to me, right? Like when I think of Mod Deep, it's very far removed from this idea of science fiction. And I think one of the things that this book does particularly well is to kind of bridge those ideas together. Um, but this idea of post-apocalypse, can you can you talk about how that kind of bridges into this idea of Afrofuturism and and the I guess the connection between hip hop and Afrofuturism through this lens of the post apocalyptic kind of landscape.
0: Yeah, in the in, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about dead presidents again. Um, this is in breaking down predictions as well, but in the beginning of dead presidents, that's one of the things I try to establish is that hip hop came out of this post apocalyptic scene in the South Bronx. Um, it was even described that way at the time before hip hop happened. Um, when Ronald Reagan was running for president, he went there and said that it looked like a bomb had gone off. And so there's like the roots, the very roots of hip hop are post-apocalyptic in, in a big sense. And I mean, other people, this is not my idea. Greg Tate said this, rest in peace. Um, uh, Kojo Ishan has talked about this as well. And so, the, so much of science fiction is pointed toward this kind of dystopic, you know, post-apocalyptic scene and then you have something like hip-hop emerging out of that um, using like all of these pieces of the past and the tools of the past and recreate you know creating this whole um, new culture Um, so it's it's just rooted in it it's just a, you know obviously the south bronx it wasn't after an apocalypse but it looked it had the same kind of conditions that we think of in a science fictional post-apocalypse and then you know you're you're talking about bridging that That's another thing that like if you listen to something like if you listen to Public Enemy or, you know, just the absolute noise and cacophony of their tracks or even something like NWA, where it's just like alarms are going off, It's it sounds post-apocalyptic. And I know that it's like it's also funky and it sounds great. And it's, you know, there are all these other aesthetics. But if you think if you get in the mindset of the world is over and this is just like what's left of it, that is the soundtrack to that feeling. I mean, that's that's. You know, just the alarm, the alarm uh, and the sound of the noise of it is just uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, and it's it's like the world is over or the world is ending. Um, so there's, if, you don't have to push it too far to like think of it in that, in those terms or to, to, to see it in that way. I don't think anyway. I had
1: a conversation with Angela Davis uh, like a handful of months ago, and she and I had asked her about the experiences of kind of, I don't know, what it felt like to, to live in the, the the 70s and 80s and engaging in a lot of these kind of political discourses. And she had said that during that time, it felt different than today because they actually felt like a revolution was like on the precipice. They were, it was, it was like a r- real it was a real possibility that revolution was going to happen. Not even just a real possibility, but they felt like it was going to happen. They felt like they were on the winning side of that war. Um, I think when you look at the lyrics of public enemy, et cetera, I think that sort of that possibility or that potential or that optimism about revolution, I think is, was was really just kind of in the air during those days, during those years.
0: Yeah. the, one of the things I point out the, in the in the preface to Looking Down Predictions is um, the the idea that science fiction used to look forward, like in the twentieth century, science fiction looked forward, and everything was this technological utopia, and everything, all of our you know, all of our whims and needs were taken care of by machines and technology. And if you look at you know the last twenty years of science fiction, or thirty years, probably, um, I haven't done the full timeline the now they're like everything is dystopic right so there's no there's no looking forward to the 22nd century and it being all taken care of it's harder and harder to see farther out so i think that 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 optimism is i mean i'm still optimistic but i think that, that optimism a lot a lot of it is kind of dissipated in the meantime um even since public enemy i mean when that you're talking about you know fight the power was 1989 um so That's that's not even the, you know, 60s and 70s. That's (laughs) it's not even, you know, it's it's much later. Um, Yeah. Very strange to think of like the idea of optimism in that sense, in the sense of revolution and the death of that optimism. Right. It's weird how do you think the, the technique of, of sampling
1: and the practice of sampling relates to the themes of this book? Because it comes up a fair amount. And I think on the face of it, if you were to press people about the idea of what sampling is, I don't think they would necessarily draw those correlations.
0: Um, Well, one of the reasons that it comes up so much in this book is that the theme of time um, and sampling kind of manipulates time, like just by using something that was recorded already and making it into something else, you're manipulating like the time of that recording, and you're recontextualizing it in a different way, and it just goes around and around and over and over. And um, it's it's just fascinating because it just messes with your memories. This is what I was saying about the connecting that to Blade Runner, because in Blade Runner, the the replicants who are the the advanced robots in that um, book and film, uh, in order to like give them they make them more controllable and give them like a cognitive cushion that got implanted memories, right? Because they didn't grow up. They were just formed. And so they have these memories of growing up that aren't theirs. And I just thought that was super fascinating to connect with listening to songs that are sampling, you know, songs you might've heard before, or songs you might've heard your parents listening to before. Um, it just messes with the idea of time and memory. And so... Um, there's, I mean, there's so. Uh, this is a, that's a very like thin sketch of like how powerful sampling is and how much it messes with time. But that's the first thing I think of is like just the idea of of memories and repeating them and you know just to me that singularity of go, of being able to make recordings out of other recordings that's just huge because um, it's like it's like making recipe cake, right? <laughs> um, It's just a very strange kind of thing if you look if you look further into the idea of like music and what music meant and how it used to be like performing music and listening to music by yourself was weird because someone was you know everyone it was a group kind of activity and then it then it got recorded and then it was like that was such a huge um schism about just the fact that music was recorded it was supposed to be about performing it and then it getting packaged and sold and then listening to it on headphones rather than listening to it with other people there's like all these things that just have to do with the fact that we are recording these things that are supposed to exist in time you know that comes and goes um, so to just being able to repeat them is one thing but then using those to make other songs is like a whole other <laughs> we made a whole other leap um so conceptually like sampling is And the way that it messes with time is, I mean, we haven't even, this book, I don't even, it doesn't, there's so much to it. It it comes up a lot in the book, but I think there's like, there's a lot more to be said about that, that idea.
1: Yeah. One of the most kind of fascinating ideas that I kept kind of lingering on is, yeah, when it comes to sampling, at least I would traditionally think of it, if I'm thinking, if I'm trying to draw the correlations with time, I'm thinking, yeah, you're sampling older records and you're bringing them into the present but that's not the end of it because you have an act like the bomb squad who produced for public enemy and they're using this technique and they're, they're bringing records from the past, but they're not stopping at the the present, right? They're, they're trying to make futuristic sounding records. And um, the idea of sampling as the, as uh, bringing on in the I guess the opportunity to, to take a record from, yeah, the past, but bring it to the future, I think is an idea that is, uh, is tremendously powerful. Um, but you see it time and time again, especially with these more um, kind of boundary pushing artists.
0: Right. There's like that, that idea of creating an alternate future or creating an alternate and not even, not even a future, but just like an alternate timeline by using two or three different samples from the past and reanimating them into something else. Um, Yeah, there's just, again, there's so much going on there.
1: Um, I kind of lingered on this a little bit before, but outside of the more kind of far out examples, I I think a lot of the connections to these themes that artists make are are undoubtedly unintentional. I think a lot of artists, uh, especially the more kind of street oriented rappers would be reluctant to identify with the world of science fiction, for instance. And I think a lot of what this book does, rather beautifully, at least for me, was it does it bridges that divide. It makes me think of like a Mob Deep in a similar way as a Deltron 3030. It makes me think of Wu Tang Clan as something not too far off from like a Saul Williams or Shabazz Palaces. And these are mental divides and borders that I've always drawn in the art form. I've always just considered these in two different planes of the the art form and i think this book begins to blur those boundaries do you see the book as as an attempt to bridge those divisions in any way
0: oh yes and I'm, I'm glad that came through because i i mean i've definitely thought of things that way for a long time very divided you know like you said deltron and dr octagon would be in one camp and then mob deep nwa that kind of thing would be in a different camp and if you again if you if you use that lens of um afrofuturism or like the science fiction post-apocalyptic kind of lens then you you can see mob deep or public enemy or you know something that you wouldn't have put in that category you can see them that way and again you're right The like wu Tang clan would would not would not connect themselves with science fiction i mean riza might but anyway um that wouldn't be the first thing that they would think of would be you know be associated with science fiction um but yeah that the the idea of trying to recast um things like that that would have been dismissed as something in a different category and recasting it in this in this light is was definitely like part of what i wanted to do with this book um and dead Precedents as well like i they're they're definitely companion pieces and in that you know i'm am responsible for both. Of them. Um, I mean, this one in this book, of course, I only wrote the preface, so I only wrote like, um, a fraction of what's in the book, but, um, yeah, the idea of, of bringing all that together and trying to, to, I don't know, to take the way that I have seen these connections and, and maybe, um, put them in a way that someone else can see those is definitely like a, one of the points of putting this together for sure
1: just kind of in general, what do you hope that people end up getting out of this text? And now that it's been out for for a little bit of time, do you feel that the response has succeeded on that?
0: Um. Yeah, I, th- I mean, trying to break down the culture into, you know, again, just to get people to see things in new ways. And a lot of I mean, you know, these these ideas even bringing them together in here, they're not my ideas. These are ideas that other people have discussed and other people have talked about and I've written in other books and, you know, uh, and then of course, this book was written by other people. I just kind of, I've just put it all together. Um, but yeah, I've had several people say that it made them think about the music that they already liked a lot differently and introduced them to some people, um, that they hadn't heard before. And then even just the comments you've made so far. Yes. I I feel like that it is achieving kind of what I, you know, set out to do. Um, Yeah. It's been, it's been great. It's, it hasn't even been out a year yet, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, the response has been really, really good. Yeah. That's another big one.
1: Just introducing people to new art. Um, I feel like any book that deals with, well, any book that deals with art is bound to, to do that to some degree, um, but the the people that you've chose to contribute to this thing are clearly knowledgeable about the art form, right? Like, even just from the introduction, you start getting people like Shabazz Palaces and Saul Williams and all these cat, Moor Mother, um, these like underground cats that I would listen to, but I wouldn't expect to pick up a... general audience book are certainly like an academic book and um see those sort of names being brought up um the yeah i think the the exploration factor is is certainly there as well
0: that's good that's good to hear (laughs) um one of the one of the one of the reviews of the book said that it was that they kind of mentioned that the usual suspects were involved and i was like really we I tried to reach out outside of that. I mean, they're definitely in there. Like we've mentioned public enemy and Wu-Tang clan. And uh, I said, you know, Ram LZ. Um, But uh, I like to think that there are, there are some other ones that people wouldn't have considered. There's a
1: whole section or article on Gabriel Teodros uh, from Seattle. And, that's, uh, that's an incredible nod. I, I almost never see anyone mention that kind of neck of the woods and that sphere of, of hip-hop, but that stuff's incredible um, if you start going through kind of back catalog. And I think a lot of people that take this stuff seriously, or at least people that are just really fascinated in the art form that are looking for new avenues to explore, um, I, I can't imagine that you'll read an entire book like this and, and not find new new avenues to, to go down.
0: Right. I certainly hope so.
1: So I want to ask things. Uh, well, before we end up kind of wrapping things up, just uh, kind of generally speaking, what are you currently working on? You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation your next book is kind of hovering around this idea of skateboard culture.
0: Um, it's it's a media theory book, but there's a whole chapter on skateboarding and kind of how skateboarding um re like reinterprets the built environment and kind of this idea of mining affordances. And so it's a I don't know. I've been calling it like a post-punk media theory book because there's a lot of music in it as well. But it's mostly like Fugazi and Gang of Four and um, Radiohead and stuff like that. Laurie Anderson, Brian Eno. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of different music, but it's basically trying to make this argument about how we how we use media, how we're how we are mediating our world with our technology. And I know that that's a well-worn topic. And so I was trying to make it weird by bringing in. Again, examples of things that I don't think people I haven't seen anyone talk about in the you know in any other book or any other fashion, and so yeah, skateboarding is a big kind of part of that, and so there is a lot of DIY and punk rock and post punk kind of culture that I am using to make my arguments about media theory. It's called the medium picture.
1: Gotcha. when do you when do you hope that this one will be out?
0: I don't know. This is another one that's been I am um, having publisher issues (laughs) it's been with the publisher and then not with the publisher and then with the publisher and so right now it doesn't have a home so um i'm still waiting to see and i've been i finished the manuscript kind of at the end of last year and then in the meantime i've just been kind of tweaking it i was waiting to get the forward um there's a lot of marshall McLuhan in this book um because he's kind of like the guru of media theory and his grandson andrew McLuhan wrote the forward for me and so for a while i was waiting for it to get that from him and so I was just kind of tweaking it and adding things here and there and so as it's been it was with the publisher at the time and so uh, once it got passed over again I've just been working on it here and there in the meantime I also have a um, a new collection of short stories coming out to um, coming out in September I just got the galleys for that yesterday so um, that's the other thing that will be coming out soon Awesome, man! I I can't wait for
1: for any kind of future project that you end up tackling. The first project that I had got from you um, was Dead Presidents, and um, I, I was thoroughly enjoying everything that I read from that. But this project, the the Boogie Down Predictions, um, probably more so um, the the ideas and. Uh, just kind of the yeah the intellectual en- exercise of going through a lot of this stuff and yeah rethinking about how i thought about other acts that i was already familiar with was uh was yeah a really really powerful exercise um so yeah i'm genuinely looking forward to future projects that you end up putting out
0: awesome um one last note about boogie down predictions it has yeah sure we, we were talking about it not it being scholarly but not academic it has um essays from djs and from mcs um, Lab Tech One wrote one, um, Ju Salim from the UK wrote one, DJ Foodstamp wrote one, um, Kevin Koval, who's a poet, has a, po- a whole section of poems. And so the, the content is also quite varied. Um, so there are academic articles in there, but there's also a lot of lots of other kinds of content in there
1: the food stamp connection is really awesome too i used to get the the dj food stamp mixes that he would uh put through undergroundhiphop.com you would be able to get a free uh there were if you ordered like 50 dollars or 100 dollars from undergroundhiphop.com uh you could get a free item and those food stamp mixes were were always included in those free piles so uh yeah, i wound great. up with a bunch of them over the years
0: yeah his his piece is really good it's a, a kind of a just deep exploration of how DJs become cyborgs by using their turntable technology. Um, That piece is actually up on the MIT Reader website. Um, There's a link to it from my website. So if anybody wants to read an excerpt, um, that's up there.
1: Amazing. Man, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with me. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it.
0: Awesome.